0: Hey, this is Tim at The Bible Project. And today on the podcast, we are going to finish our series on how to read the wisdom literature in the Bible. If you've been tracking with our conversation so far, you'll know that we've been covering these books uh, in the Bible that are associated with Solomon. We began his story actually way before him, back in the Garden of Eden, with the failed human quest for wisdom that resulted in humanity's exile. And so Solomon comes as a new Adam figure who gets things right, who trusts God to give him wisdom, at least for a little while, until he replays the failure of Adam and Eve. And so this is the context for the wisdom books, the books of Solomon in the Bible. In the previous episodes, we've looked at Proverbs and the Song of Songs, and today we're going to look at two books connected to the wisdom literature, the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Job. Ecclesiastes is kind of like the cold wet blanket thrown on you in the Hebrew Bible. You read it and it's either depressing or I like to think of it as just a heavy dose of realism. This book is unique uh, and different in that Solomon isn't actually named, but the figure that we meet speaking in the book is a Solomon-like person. Uh, and John and I explore what, what that means and the fascinating implications. And this Solomon figure has eaten some humble pie in his life. Um, in Solomon's story, it's because he didn't uh, truly live by God's wisdom. He failed royally, pun intended. And uh, he didn't rule wisely as God called him to. And so it's as if in Ecclesiastes, we hear the voice of this failed elder Solomon uh, looking back over his life of hardship. And he's trying to warn the next generation of the things that he has learned uh, the hard way so that perhaps you don't have to. After that, John and I are gonna talk about the book of Job yet again. I learned a whole bunch of new stuff recently Uh, about the book of Job and so we are going to process that in this conversation. Uh, The character of Job is presented as someone who is upright. He fears God. He does the right thing. He's the ideal wisdom figure that Solomon and Adam and Eve and Abraham, all of these people in the Hebrew Bible, uh, he is what none of them were, a truly righteous, wise person who fears God. And yet, he suffers unfairly. God even says so. So, what is up with that? Uh, the book of Job is actually staring that paradox or contradiction of faith right in the face. The last chapter of the book has a number of puzzles that unlocked for me recently uh, and reading some work of some other scholars. And so, I'm excited to share that with you because the role of Job in the Hebrew Bible just l- leaped off the page in how it connects to the New Testament and the story of Jesus in some really profound and exciting ways. So, all that and more in this conversation on Ecclesiastes and Job. Thanks for joining us, you guys. Here we go.
1: We are in a series about the wisdom literature, and we are going to talk about the book of Ecclesiastes.
2: Yes,
0: we are.
1: Last mm-hmm. episode was Song of Songs. Yeah. Before that was Proverbs. We're taking all of these these books that are thematically related mm-hmm. in the idea of the pursuit of wisdom. Mm-hmm and
0: humanity's pursuit of wisdom yeah <laughs> or wisdom's pursuit of humanity yeah <laughs> yeah
1: which is a fundamental mm. idea mm-hmm. in the story of the bible yeah which we see in genesis mm.
0: yeah uh, the garden narratives if humans are gonna be the images of god ruling in the world they will need wisdom we will need wisdom the question is whose wisdom and how do you get it and define it yeah that's what the eden story puts in running.
1: yeah it's easy for me to miss that in Eden story because mm. the knowledge of good and evil, or good as a ba- phrase, yeah, or good, or, good or good and bad, as we talked about, yeah, Tove and Raw doesn't it doesn't necessarily smack of of
0: pursuing wisdom. Yeah, well, it is the word knowledge, which is a wisdom type of word. Yeah, it's related. And, and remember, when Eve sees the tree, she does say it will make her wise. It oh, yeah. is desirable for gaining wisdom. That's right. Yeah.
1: I love how you, at the end of last episode, we quoted from... You Mm. quoted from...
0: Yeah, Ellen Davis.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And she made the observation that I heard you make before, you might have gotten it from her, of imagining that those walks with God Mm -hmm. in the breezy part of the day Mm -hmm. were a moment for God to relationally impart his wisdom. Yes. Here's how you're going to rule with me. Yes. And it was a very connected, relational, intimate Mm -hmm. way of living Mm -hmm. with the divine. So with all that in mind, coming back, because we've talked about Ecclesiastes before. Yes. I think there's two or three episodes deep in the archives, but (laughs) we're going to come back fresh eyes.
0: Yes. Yep. So the three books of Solomon, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs, Mm -hmm. are all hyperlinked through Solomon into the Solomon story in the book of First Kings. Mm -hmm. which is uh, an elaborate replaying of the Garden of Eden story. Yeah. Um, And so his search for wisdom, his finding what you think is he finds divine wisdom and creates a little Eden. Yeah, he does. And then he also starts slowly doing things by his own wisdom. Yeah. And then it all falls apart. And so these three books of Solomon are retelling Solomon's linked into Solomon's story. But they are making it universal as the humanity story, mm-hmm. like it is in the Garden. Mm-hmm. And so, Proverbs we saw that did Song of Songs. Ecclesiastes comes in as the um, uh, it's just as unique and different from the other two Solomon books as the Song of Songs is unique. Because mm-hmm. here we meet a sad Solomon. Yeah, a uh, cynical. A cynical chastened Solomon who um, has eaten some humble pie. <laughs> <laughs> But again, this fits in. It fits in. Uh, just like Song of Songs is like a what if mm-hmm. Solomon hadn't stumbled and fallen. Mm-hmm. and What, what if he, Adam and Eve... What if Adam and Eve hadn't done what it did what they did? Uh, this becomes uh, an Ecclesiastes, not a hypothetical scenario. This actually is more realistic. Mm-hmm. Imagine Solomon at the end of his life. Yeah. Looking back and what would he say? However, the, the plot thickens immediately as you open the first line, as you look at the first line of the book. I have two different translations represented here in the notes. The words of the preacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the New American Standard, English Standard, King James. Okay. But the NIV and the NRSV read the words of the teacher, okay. son of David. So preacher or teacher. We went with teacher. Mm-hmm. In our video. Mm-hmm. And I feel fine about that for the purpose of the video. Mm. But if you want to have the next level conversation, it, <laughs> it gets a lot more interesting because the Hebrew word being translated here is not the word teacher or preacher. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> uh, the Hebrew word is kohelet and kohelet. kohelet. It's a verbal noun from the verb kahal, which means to assemble or to convene a group of people. Okay. Interestingly, Solomon. In the prominent moment in his story was someone who called people he was a Kohelet a convener of a people. gatherer yeah and it's when he dedicated the temple mm. in first Kings 8 verse 1 yep. Solomon called all the elders of Israel all the heads of the tribes and brought up the Ark of the Covenant from the city of David all the men of Israel assembled themselves mm. so Solomon was a convener mm. but he wasn't the only convener this is fascinating the people who convene all of Israel, it's a pretty short list. <laughs> I've put it right there in front of you. So people who do this verb to the to the Israelites. Yeah. Moses is the first one. Uh-huh. David. Sol- All-star roster. Yep. Solomon. Rehoboam, who is Solomon's son. Okay. And then three other kings from the line of David, sons of David and Solomon. Asa, Jehoshaphat, and Hezekiah. So convening all Israel is a royal task mm. so these are all kings yep so here is the million dollar question why does the book of ecclesiastes mm. open up saying the words of the convener hmm the words of one who convenes why doesn't it say solomon
1: like song of Songs says to solomon yeah the song of out. songs
0: in relation to solomon the yeah. p- proverbs book of proverbs opens the proverbs of solomon yeah why doesn't this open the words of solomon yeah If he's the only one that we're supposed to connect this book to, why is he called the convener?
1: So evidently, we're supposed to connect this book in a
0: more general sense to Mm -hmm. to just kings in the line of David? Correct. I, I think so. Yeah. In other words, what we're hearing is the voice of the line of David. Hmm. Primarily through the Solomon persona. Yeah. But as we're going to see, we're going to hear echoes of multiple kings from the line of David Mm. in the words of the teacher. Okay. Solomon isn't the only king from the line of David who's being hyperlinked to here. But he is the first son of David. And he was the first to build the greatest Eden that Israel ever saw in Jerusalem. And the most famous. So I'm going to call it a Solomon-like persona. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Um, but think of it Solomon-esque. as... Solomon-esque. Think of it like, you know, those uh, photo mosaics. Uh-huh. It'll be like a famous person. Yeah. But then it's made up of hundreds of pictures right. of yeah. maybe other famous people. I don't know, something like right. that. So this would be... a picture of Solomon. Picture of Solomon. You look Solomon, close and yeah. it's a bunch of... Uh, it's all the kings. All the kings. From the line of David mm. that you read about in First and Second Kings. So uh, a very helpful book. Again, a a scholar, Jenny Barber, she wrote a book called The Story of Israel in the Book of Kohelet that is all about this.
1: The Book of Kohelet, is that what she's
0: calling this book? That's right. Uh, In scholarship, it's often just called Kohelet, not Ecclesiastes. Oh, okay. Because they just refer to it by the Hebrew name. Got it. Ecclesiastes is, I'm pretty sure it's the title that was given to the book in later Christian tradition. Oh, okay. Based on the Septuagint's translation of the word Kohelet as Ecclesiastes, namely the... The church church gatherer. Oh, right. (laughs) Because the word church means uh, the ones called together, the ones called out. Okay. So just on this point, she uh, says, Jenny Barber, she says, the name Kohelet, It means the one who convenes the assembly. This is a label with royal associations. After Moses, only kings summon all Israelite assemblies. And Moses was even called a king. And Moses is called king once. And those associations take in more kings than just Solomon. So I like this. Kohelet's name casts him as a royal archetype. Mm -hmm. Not in every man so much as in every (laughs) king. (laughs) Every king. He's all the Davidic kings in in one Mm. persona. Which everyone is called to be a yes, king. Yes, totally. Yeah, the role of kings over creation is given to male and female on page one. Yeah. That's right. Uh, the other thing, just an interesting note, is any of the kings from the line of David could mm-hmm. be called a son of David. In other words, the phrase yes. son of David. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're, lit, you're only, your mm-hmm. biological son. That's right. Yeah, Hezekiah, who's many <clears throat> generations down, could be called a son of David. Right. And so this, in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 9, the speaker says, I increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem.
1: (laughs) Right. And if it was just Solomon. Yeah.
0: I mean, his dad founded Jerusalem. Yeah. Like there hasn't been any other king except his dad. Yeah. That's a sly way to be like, I'm better than my dad. Yeah. But when you hear Hezekiah in here, or Asa, or Yehoshaphat, or Mm -hmm. Rehoboam, then that comment begins to make more sense. Essentially, what I think we're meant to see here is a jaded king at the end of Israel's story bringing a bit of realism to the pursuit of wisdom. Hmm. And remember the phrase under the sun. Yes. Life here under the sun. Right. Uh, I think is this book's way of talking about life outside the garden, hmm. life exiled from Eden. So pursue wisdom, but just know life outside here, the garden is yeah. vapor. And yeah. even your best efforts will usually result in mixed mixed results (laughs) right we can practice garden
1: life Mm -hmm. but we're still outside the garden still outside the garden things aren't going to go as planned
0: correct yeah time will catch up with you remember the three yeah the march of time (laughs) yes (laughs) the randomness yeah randomness of of life life and death (laughs) and death itself yeah and the grave throw this wet blanket over all of our efforts to fear god and live by his wisdom yeah which doesn't mean to don't fear God and live by his wisdom. It just means don't expect your whole life to be like Eden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if you do that. So th- think, for example, one of the big themes of the book is labor and toil and how you work so hard. Yeah. And all this vocabulary of labor and toil comes right from Genesis three. Yeah. Uh, where God says, cursed is the ground. Mm-hmm. In painful toil, you'll eat of it. Yeah. All the days of your life, you're going to be planting fields but it's gonna grow thorns and thistles you're like i didn't want that i didn't want weeds yeah I'm trying i'm looking for vegetables here work is gonna be work <laughs> yeah totally yeah and then it's gonna be work again back to genesis 3 until you return to the ground mm. because from it you're taken you are dust yeah and to dust you go back that little line right there yeah is just it's like the seed bed for yeah half the book yeah is all this vocabulary yeah Let me tell you about this Um, cruel
1: reality (laughs) outside of the garden.
0: Totally. So here, I'm going to let you read one. Think of that line that we just read from Genesis 3, and then think of this paragraph from chapter 2.
1: Therefore, I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor, for which I had labored under the sun. When there's a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with him. This, too, is vanity. Oh, it's Hevel. Hevel. Vapor. Yeah. Yeah. This is Hevel. A great raw. Ooh, a great raw. Yeah. (laughs) A great bad thing. (laughs) (laughs) A very bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. For what does a man get in all his labor and in all his striving, which he labors under the sun? Because all his days, his task is painful and grievous. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is, is Hevel. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Vapor. What a great, this is exactly meditating on life in the Mm-hmm. Exiled from the garden. Right. Totally. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. When he talks about death, he'll talk about returning to the dust. In chapter three, mm-hmm. there's this whole thing about, you know what? The animals return to the dust mm-hmm. and so do you. So don't think too highly of yourself. <laughs> yeah. I
1: like to not think about that.
0: Yeah. Man, I had this weird experience where uh, I took, Jessica and I took the boys to like a water park. It was a cold Portland day, on, uh-huh. like Saturday. And so... We went to the water park for two hours and just like had fun. On a cold day? Cold day outside. Oh, an in indoor water park. Oh. East Portland Community Center. Oh. They have a, they have a big lazy river, a whirlpool, yeah. and a big slide. So anyway, August, for the first time, was tall enough. My younger son was mm. tall enough to go on the slide, but he had to go on my lap. Mm. Can't go on by himself. Okay. So he's too short to go by himself, but tall enough to go with me. Yeah. So recently, feels good putting his head under the water. Yeah. It was like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> it yeah. just do it again. keep going. We did it 20 times in a row. Yeah. I mean, it was like just an hour going up and down these stairs. Yeah. I was exhausted. Yeah. But dude, like having him sit in my lap and we were like pretending we're a race car. It was, it was like a a parenting highlight Mm, moment. It was so fun. Yeah. And to do it 20 times and to see it be just as exciting 20 (laughs) times over. It was a really, one of the sweet moments of like, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. Hmm. Just his joy and excitement. And we had so much fun together. And because we were repeating it Mm -hmm. over and over. And some of the lines sometimes. I'm so screwed up. I started to like have these meta reflections on like, you know, I'm going to die one day. (laughs) I, could, I couldn't believe it. I was like, no, just enjoy the moment. And I found, as we kept going round and round, I started feeling like, this is like life. Just round and round and the round. Repetition and of then life. pretty soon, this little guy is going to be grown up, mm. and I'm going to be an old man, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to lose all yeah. this. Yeah. And I won't have these moments anymore. Yeah. That's what I was thinking about. Wow. I couldn't be present. You got deep. Yeah, that's how my mind works. That's Ecclesiastes. Yeah. It's like even with the beauty of the garden and trusting that the resurrection yeah. and new creation, right. There's a grievous yeah. sadness to the world under as we experience under the sun, and it's sobering and you can't avoid it. We spend a lot of our mental energy pushing those thoughts to the margin so yeah. that we can function. <laughs> totally.
1: Protecting ourselves yeah. from those In things. Yeah. And the book of
0: Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes just says, "No, stare Reality in the face. Yeah. We're outside the garden and you're going (laughs) to (laughs) die.
1: Yeah. What did we do? We kind of talked about this as the kind of the cantankerous teacher who, who, he, he wants to get a rise out of you. Yeah. He wants you to stare at something uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I remember in our previous conversation from a couple of years ago, he's like that friend that you only want to be around in small amounts. Yeah. (laughs) You enjoy talking to him, but he's kind of dark and yeah. you don't want to hang out with him too long.
1: But he gives you a really good perspective. But
0: he reminds you of important things that you don't want to forget. Yeah. So my point here for this video is notice again, a book of Solomon. Yeah. All, and here we are back meditating on Genesis one through three. Right. Just like in just Proverbs, like Proverbs, just like in Song of Songs. Yeah. So too here. Um, here's something interesting. Ecclesiastes in the early part begins with our Solomon figure. Mm-hmm telling us about how he was king greater than all the kings before him in jerusalem yeah (laughs) and he talks about how he made a little eden in the city oh this was jenny barber who pointed this out in her book so many people just assume oh that's recalling the story we read in first kings oh uh of him building the temple building the temple in jerusalem and everyone under their own fig tree and gold and all this, And that's true. That is calling back to that. That itself is a hyperlink to a Genesis, Eden. yeah Okay, so get ready for how the line of kings works. Every king is, after Solomon, becomes just another little repetition of Solomon for good or bad. Okay. So that list in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 4 through 10, he says, I made great. I made my works great. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks. I planted fruit trees you can see Genesis 3 leaping off the page here I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees male and female slaves homeborn slaves flocks herds more abundant than all before me in Jerusalem I collected silver and gold and the treasure of kings I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men many concubines okay So you can hear the Solomon story back Mm -hmm, in there, mm -hmm. but most of this vocabulary is actually hyperlinked to the story of Hezekiah. Hmm. That list actually more precisely maps on to the building accomplishments of Hezekiah as described in 2 Chronicles. Hmm. This Jenny Barber points this out. Hmm. So this is part of her larger argument to say Hmm. the the Solomon-like voice is actually drawing upon the narratives about all of the sons of David, Hmm. um, not just Solomon. Because the Hezekiah story is very similar. He has a great start, builds Eden, rescues the city from Assyria. And then the last story about him is how he blows it with these emissaries from Babylon and Hmm. sinks the whole ship. Again, a quote from Jenny Barber about this. She says, In all of these ways, the building projects, the riches, the treasuries, the pools, and the singers, the royal boast in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 displays a king's achievements In terms that show how an author of the second temple period is reading and interpreting the stories of Israel's kings. In other words, what what she's saying, this is her view on the authorship of the book. Yeah. You can disagree with her. That's that's fine. But it's an interesting perspective. And any view of the authorship of the book Mm -hmm. has to account for why Solomon isn't named Mm -hmm. and why... The persona and the voice is hyperlinking to stories of all of the kings, Mm -hmm. not just Solomon. Mm. And so her way of saying is this is a a really late biblical author who's created a voice and persona speaking as if it is the whole line of David. Mm -hmm. The sad line of David sitting in exile. So she goes on. Uh, She says the writer has pulled together texts and motifs from Israel's histories Mm -hmm. to show that the paradigm king Solomon set the mold that was continually replicated through the rest of Israel's monarchy, right down to the exile. Mm. She shows how in in Jewish interpretive tradition, ancient Jewish readers saw these connections. Mm -hmm. And so, they portrayed Solomon as actually foreseeing the whole history of his line, crashing and burning in exile as the context for the book of Ecclesiastes. Not a fun vision. No. This is in the Aramaic translations of the book called mm. the Targums to Ecclesiastes. And it portrays him sitting on his throne, having a vision mm. of the whole history leading mm. to the exile. Mm. And then he writes this book. <laughs> That's like an
1: addition in that version. Mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Uh, it's just
0: okay. like it's an imaginative interpretation uh-huh. in early Jewish tradition. But okay. again, it tells us how people read the book.
1: Oh, it's a separate book. Got it. Targum to Ecclesiastes is a separate. The Targum
0: is Aramaic translation of Ecclesiastes. Oh. And it has It is a translation. It so it's a translation. Well, but it's very, very interpretive. Got it. Translation. And it includes at the beginning of it Solomon having a vision of the whole kingdom crashing and burning and then writing the book of (laughs) Ecclesiastes. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And it kinda it kinda makes sense. Right. Yeah. Totally. Anyhow, we could fill this out a whole lot more, but that's the basic insight. I think that Jenny Barber isn't just making this up. I think she's paying attention to how the book fits in alongside Proverbs and Song of Songs, hyperlinked to the Solomon story. But Mm -hmm. the Solomon story is just a gateway into the Adam and Eve story. Mm -hmm. And now here to the story of the monarchy of David Mm -hmm. Um, and how all of that is just itself reiterating and riffing off of the Adam and Eve story of failed rulers who pursued their own wisdom, trying to build their own Eden But outside the garden, even our best Edens will always be compromised and vapor Mm -hmm. and hevel and Mm -hmm. won't give us what we're really looking for.
1: it's cool how how nuanced and complex the wisdom literature is mm. as it relates to the pursuit of mm. wisdom mm-hmm. in that cuz in Ecclesiastes right it's never like, so don't pursue wisdom and no. don't, it's, yeah, that's it's right. fear the Lord, yeah, that's which right. is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah.
0: The final words of the book are, but remember, still feel, fear the Lord and keep his commandments. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah it's that's just right. this big, like big mm-hmm. asterisk of mm-hmm. like, as you do remember, yes. we're not in the garden. Yeah. And you might accomplish some really great things yeah. that end up falling apart mm-hmm. or you're, you're just going to die one day.
0: You're, yeah. You'll have to pass it on. And
1: you're going to pass it on. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. That on this side of new creation, mm-hmm. have a little balance in your expectations. yeah, and it seems like that same kind of balance mm-hmm. is there in Song of Songs a little bit in this mm-hmm. whole like pursuit, and then, yeah, you get there, but then all of a sudden it starts over, and mm-hmm. you're pursuing again, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay. I found, I found it. <laughs> yeah, and then no, it's over. Or it, right. found
0: <laughs> or it found me. It found me. Yeah, right. and it's
1: kind of this cyclical approach yeah. of there's yeah. kind of this realism to mm-hmm. your pursuit of wisdom will be this lifelong, ongoing pursuit mm-hmm. that uh, will be satisfied in some ways, but then in another way, will never be completely satisfied. Yeah,
0: That's, yeah. Ecclesiastes is, is a remarkable book. All of these books are remarkable. Yeah, they're just remarkable texts. But it, it's such a realistic honest portrayal of our lived experience you know this is leaping forward then into new testament theology but uh the apostle paul and peter john they have no hesitation to say like new creation if anyone is in the messiah new creation yeah it's happening it's happening the new humanity has been created you Mm -hmm. know in the cross and resurrection we've been given new birth through yeah. the hope of the resurrection peter yeah. says You've been risen so it's very much you know inviting the future has arrived now in the present yeah you know the same paul who says that can also say but remember your sinful nature the flesh is still at war yeah and and i have not yet attained yeah the that's resurrection. right yeah i haven't yet attained to the resurrection yeah he, but he can experience its power yeah. even in the midst of his suffering and It's just the New Testament offers that same balanced nuance between the now and the the not yet. Yeah. And Ecclesiastes is mostly focusing on the now. (laughs) Yeah. Very little emphasis on the not yet. But that's what other books of the Hebrew Bible are for, is to
1: do more of that stuff. The curmudgeon of the Hebrew scriptures. Yeah,
0: totally. So, again, we could spend a lot more time talking about Ecclesiastes. What I'm interested in this video is, again, the frame, the narrative context in which we come to read the wisdom books so that we make sure we're reading them along the lines that the authors want us to, Yeah. the authors of the Hebrew Bible.
1: Now, how does that narrative frame of the pursuit of wisdom affect the way you think about Ecclesiastes? That's different than the way we approached it. Mm. In the previous video.
0: Oh, yep. Well, if you think the other video, we were approaching the main themes uh-huh. of the convener. <laughs> yeah, the teacher. Yeah. And then we were kind of just universalizing them. yeah. And I think that's right, right. Like the story of Solomon and the kings of from the line of David, Aren't just there for historical interest.
1: Yeah, and we were juxtaposing it against. That's right. The themes yeah. of proverbs. Yeah,
0: I feel wonderful about our wisdom trilogy. Yeah, but it had a different aim, which was to make the messages of those books almost connect immediately. Yeah. To the listener or the viewer. Yeah, to our existential Here, questions. Here in the series on how to read the Bible, it's about setting these books in their kind of first layer of meaning, mm-hmm. which is the narrative framework of the hebrew bible yeah but the narrative framework of the hebrew bible is all rooted in the adam and eve story which is about
1: all all humanity so let me ask a different way what kind of insights do you get from about the quest for
0: wisdom ah uh uh, reading ecclesiastes oh i think we just we just talked about it okay what we're drawing attention to is why is this book connected to the sons of david yeah and why is it all about is it spoken from the voice of this king who built all this amazing stuff, but is now reflecting on it in light of the exile? Yeah. So it's more that it's, it's kind of, it's the next level yeah. of understanding these books is why the Solomon layer uh, of the identity of the speaker. Yeah. I get, yeah, that's really it. Okay. The themes so yeah, of the book I'd, are this are the same. As we pursue wisdom, fear
1: of the Lord, mm-hmm. be kind of honest mm-hmm. and ready Mm. For the random, chaotic, outside of Eden nature of of reality that is still the setting.
0: Correct. Yeah. 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 The fact that things won't work out, that I might experience suffering or pain unjustly Mm -hmm. or for no reason that I can discern doesn't mean that everything I believe is a sham or that God hates me or is punishing me. We're just outside the garden and living in the fog. That's the yeah. image of the vapor. It's hazy. Yeah. And we have to do our best to live by wisdom and the, the fear of the Lord, but also have tempered expectations. And if you have tempered expectations, you're just surprised at every good thing that happens. <laughs> it just becomes a gift, you know? Yeah. That's why I actually don't mind having kind of such a, a uh, you know, the moment on the water slide. Like mm. I think some people would be bummed if that's how their mind worked, like always thinking about your coming death. Yeah. <laughs> but for me... It sobers me, and then it makes the water slide moment so sweet, just like a precious gift. And every one of those I get, it just becomes this like surprise. Tristan
1: talks about that kind of idea in terms of a metaphor of curtains, like drawstring curtains, like Mm -hmm. in a hotel room, Mm. where it's those curtains that when you open up one side, it opens up the other side at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like you can't open just one side. And so that as the metaphor for like how we experience emotions huh. and how but in passions it's like we just want the like happy mm. water slide moments with mm-hmm. our kids yeah sure. <laughs> and we just want that high yeah right and we want that other side of the curtain to stay closed mm-hmm. but opening mm. one side of the curtain allows the other side of the curtain to open too
0: yeah that's right that sweet moment with my son on the water slide is a companion to many difficult moments of tantrums yeah Yeah. and uh messes and yeah broken furniture and yeah broken windows and, and that's all yeah it's both sides of the curtain I like that yeah yeah
1: Great. So that's Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. That leaves
0: Job. Leaves Job, which is the only book connected to the wisdom literature that isn't explicitly connected to Solomon.
1: Yes, but it is uh, explicitly connected to the pursuit of wisdom and the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord. Yeah.
0: So Proverbs: the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Yeah. Wisdom and the fear of the Lord are main themes of Job. Mm. And actually, as we're going to see, Solomon's in the mix. There's Solomon hyperlink, but not just Solomon. So the book of Job is connected into the wisdom literature, but it actually it's connected into the, the entire Hebrew Bible. Mm. I'll just say, I'm going to force us to have a short, concise conversation okay. about how the book of Job fits into this, the narrative context for the wisdom books, but... I'm just like, when I open Job and I start working on it and following the hyperlinks, I just jaw on the floor. Whoever wrote this had the rest of the Hebrew Bible in front of him mm. or had the rest of the Hebrew Bible in, in, in his, in his, his memory. mind. Yeah. I just literally every other line is a virtual quotation or hyperlink to almost every book in the Hebrew Bible. Oh, wow. Well. It's, it's crazy to think of somebody's mind. So this
2: so
1: this was clearly written later. Yeah,
0: but it's set, it, it's narratively set. Yes, in an ancient in, time. In an in ancient period. And I, I think I'm beginning to understand why, which I guess we can talk about. Okay. <laughs> so what I wanna pay attention to is the narrative opening and the narrative conclusion. Okay. In the middle are all the dialogues and the poetry of Job and his friends, which yeah. is amazing. I just want to pay attention because it's the beginning and ending. Notice how Proverbs was like this. The beginning and ending yeah. linked us to Solomon. right? Song of Songs, the beginning and ending. Uh, Ecclesiastes, the beginning and ending that we didn't get as deep. But same with Job. Okay. Opening line of the book of Job. There was a man in the land of Uts, whose name was Job or Yov. And that man was blameless, upright. Fearing God, turning away from Ra.
1: Yeah, there it is. He's the man of wisdom.
0: (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Blameless and upright. That's a high claim. It is. It is. Noah Mm -hmm. was the first blameless Mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. Abraham was the second.
1: Mm. So this doesn't mean you didn't didn't do anything wrong.
0: Oh, just pause. Pause. Hold on. Fearing God, turning away from Ra. Yeah. That phrase, fearing God, turning away from Ra, just appears in... Like one other book of the Hebrew Bible is a book of Proverbs. Mm. And Proverbs is spoken from Solomon to the line of David, mm-hmm. my son. Mm-hmm. So in Job, we find Noah, Abraham, and the idealized, mm. obedient, wise line of David mm. all embodied in one character. And he's not even Israelite. <laughs> <laughs> this is so good.
1: You're saying these things blameless and upright, Hi- is hyper-mines. linking it to Moses yeah. and yeah. Noah?
0: Oh, I know. when we to- open a story, there was a man blameless and upright. so and so. Oh, okay. how there's only a few stories that begin that way. Yeah. Noah and then Abraham. Yeah. Uh, Abraham's more so compromised, uh-huh. actually the character.
1: So this is a Noah type Abraham like character who also is a character who is embracing fully realizing the proverb
0: ideal the proverbs embracing wisdom ideal. Yep. Uh, But where does he live? In the land of Uts. The land of Uts. The land of Uts. Uts only appears a few times in the Hebrew Bible, and it's all connected to Abraham's family. Okay. We're in the family. When when we say something's happening in the land of Uts for an Israelite, we're in the family tree. Yeah, those yeah. Descendants. There are kin. There are kin. Yeah. So, Uts first appears in Genesis 10, where a figure named Uts is a son. Remember, Noah has three sons. Yeah. Japheth, Ham, and Shem. Okay. Shem has many descendants. Uh, Among them are Uts and also Ever, and Ever is the Hebrew word for Hebrew, (laughs) Mm. Ivri, who becomes a great. Grandfather of Abraham. Oh, okay. So uh, already on page ten of Genesis, Uts and the line of Abraham are kinsmen yeah. in the line of Shem.
1: Got it. Then so Job's not an Israelite, but he's he's yeah, he's, a he's connected.
0: Yeah, he's a Shemite. Yeah,
1: Shemite.
0: Okay. Um, I go further down, and in Genesis thirty-six, I discover that Uts is a great grandson of Esau. Yeah, Uts. Jacob, Jacob yes. and Esau. Okay. This is a different Uts. Oh, a different Uts. Well, but it's the same name. Right. There's another Uts. The two Utses are ah. ones for in the line of Shem. Then this one is <clears throat> um, uh, a great grandson of Esau, who's Abraham's yeah. grandson. Then in the Book of Lamentations, is the other time Uts appears, and Uts is identified with the land of Edom, which is where Esau went and settled. Okay. So the whole point is to, I meet a figure who's like Noah and Abraham yeah. and the um, ideal wise person. And he's in the land of Uts. I'm imagining the most righteous human, Mm. but who's in the parallel line of Abraham living out there in the desert. Okay. That's the idea. Got it. We go on. He has seven sons, three daughters to all these possessions, 7,000 sheep, Mm. 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys. Yeah. He's loaded. He was loaded. He was more great than all the sons of the East.
1: Okay. So he's... He's the dude.
0: Yeah. And so the sons of the East, these yeah. are all the all Eastern the tribes from the line of Abraham. Yeah. Okay. Yep. He sends a son, Midian. There's all these tribes yeah. that go from Abraham's, okay. his uh, third wife, Keturah. Huh. And then they all go out and move in this area. They all okay. settle to the East. Oh, okay. So it's, it's a parallel line of Abraham <laughs> out there. Yeah. It's fascinating. That phrase, he was more great than all the sons of the East is a copy We'll copy and paste from the Solomon story.
1: That Solomon was more great than Mm -hmm. all the sons of the East.
0: Yeah, I've got parallel. Yeah, I I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, where are you at? Page. This is page 31. When we're talking about Solomon's wisdom, it was more great than the wisdom of all the sons of the East. Mm -hmm. And that's also where we learned about his Proverbs and his songs and Mm -hmm. all this kind of thing. So Solomon was more great than all the sons of the East. Job Job was more great than all the sons Mm -hmm. of the East. Kind of like a Solomon kind of guy. So yeah, totally. So here's where I think this lands us. Job is like an, an Israelite wisdom experiment. <laughs> <laughs> we are imagining uh-huh. the most righteous, God-fearing, wise, mm. uh, likened person, to all of our
1: heroes of the faith.
0: Just like we have all of our versions of that in the Israelite yeah. tradition. Yeah, our parallel family over there. Yeah. All, our brothers over there, they had one too.
1: Yeah. Um, this is like the multiverse Spider-Man thing.
0: Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Here, let's play that out. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah? Yeah. It, and it's similar, but different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, Okay, so yeah, welcome to the Spider-Verse. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the Spider-Verse. is a title. This is a movie where parallel universes all have their own spider hero figure. Yeah. <laughs> and then in this movie, they all come together. From parallel universes, and they are similar. They have spidey powers, right? But they're different. One is yeah. a Gwen Spider Woman, right? Is a Peter Porker, <laughs> Spider Pig. What a great movie! That was an awesome movie. Yeah. Welcome to the Wisdom Verse. The Wisdom Verse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what we
1: expect as the Israelite, yeah, Solomon, yeah. Moses, like mm-hmm. Braddis dude, mm-hmm. like we we've been tracing that idea theme, like. Ad nauseum through Correct. the Hebrew Scriptures. Yeah, this one's saying like, "Hey, let's do that, <laughs> but let's put them in
0: the parallel family, a parallel family out there in, the in east. a different land. That's right. And let's and then let's yeah that's go right. with that story. That's right. And so as you go through the roster of characters that Job is parallel to, all of them um, were righteous for some portion of their story. Noah, Abraham, David, Solomon, but all of them also had moments of failure right. that resulted in their Suffering and misery and so yeah. on. Except one. Well, actually, that's not true. There was one who had a period of blameless perfection. And that's the archetype of all of them, namely Adam in the garden. Mm. He blew it too. Mm-hmm. And all this misery. But he alone of all those characters had had, clean, had the clean slate to start with. He did have a clean slate. Until he was tested yeah. by the tester. Yeah. The serpent. So, and as we're going to see, Job is also likened. To Adam,
1: because he starts with a clean slate.
0: Yeah, so actually, I think the job it's introduced to us. We're imagining a, a sinless person.
1: Yeah, I mean that's how he. he...
0: A, what else does that first sentence mean?
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's how it's. But you said that blameless was also referred to to Abraham.
0: That's right. Uh, oh, it's uh, it refers to Noah. To Noah. That's why God spares him as the remnant. Yeah, and then actually Abraham, God commands him to become blameless. Oh, okay, because he hasn't been. Yeah, that's right. So uh, a sinless job presents problems for certain theological systems. Yeah, uh, about human depravity. Right, but that's not the point here. Is it's a whiz, it's a thought the experiment. The wisdom verse. It's the, it's the wisdom verse. <laughs> yeah.
1: This is an atom from mm-hmm. from another yeah, yeah.
0: dimension. <laughs> yeah, You're totally. Yeah, it's it's perfect. Oh, interesting. Okay, so there's a, a scholar Samuel Meyer who did a whole essay on this about how Job is presented, particularly as Uh, Another Adam Hmm. figure. Uh, This is on page thirty-two. So Job is blameless and upright. He turns away from Ra. Adam was placed in the garden Mm -hmm. with a clean slate, Mm -hmm. and he sinned by taking of the tree of knowing good and Ra. Yeah. Bad. Job's children would have these parties and get together and feast. Mm -hmm. And when the feast was over, he would clean up after. Consecrate his children by making uh, by making offerings for them. Yeah. Um, But he would consecrate them, set them apart. Mm. And lo and behold, in the Eden narrative, God is consecrating the land and, or excuse me, consecrating the seventh day. Mm. So Job consecrates the homes of his seven sons. Mm. God consecrates the seventh day. It's just echoes.
1: So he's doing a God-like activity. Yeah,
0: totally. Yep. When Job says, naked, I came from the womb of my mother. Naked, I will return there. Adam and Eve were naked. And then once they realized it, Mm -hmm. by taking from the fruit from dust you were taken to dust you will return in other words the nakedness and then from dust back to dust to dust I return Job is echoing those lines from the Eden story when he says naked I came Mm. from the womb of my mother Mm -hmm. naked in the garden story of Eden God provides Eve and Adam says this is bone of my bone flesh of my flesh Mm -hmm. but then the one that God provides bone of his bone flesh mm-hmm. of his flesh becomes the deceived deceiver. Yeah. in The story in the same way in the Job story, the Satan asked oh, yeah. to strike his bone and his flesh. Oh. Mm-hmm. And surely he will curse you to your face. That's, mm-hmm. what, that's, that's what, what the Satan says to God. Mm-hmm. And then Job doesn't curse God, but mm. his wife comes yeah. and says, Just do curse it. God. Yeah and die yeah and he says you're speaking like a temptress mm. <laughs> like a foolish woman mm. so the whole point is
1: all these corresponding all these correspondence says, Eden that's stuff.
0: Right. so Sam Myers says the correspondence between the behavior of Job's wife and Adam's wife the it's at Eve's instigation that Adam disobeys God the serpent mm-hmm. stands in the relationship to Eve yeah that the Satan does to Job's wife right it's all this it, so we're watching another version of the temptation <coughs> of Adam happen huh, huh. But Job passes the test. Yeah. He, he does. doesn't curse God. Yeah. He doesn't give in to the pain of suffering. He doesn't give in to the temptation of his wife. Yeah. He passes the test.
1: Yeah, and then he asks for answers.
0: Yes. So well, let's just say it. The narrative of Genesis one and two is it's another what if hmm. from our brother from another. Job mother. <laughs> is a, is a
1: is a what if. Yeah. What if yeah. Adam had passed the test.
0: Let's imagine a human. Remember the word human is the word Adam, Adam. Yeah. Let's imagine a human, an Adam named Job, <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> who passed the test. Interesting. Wow.
1: Okay. Never thought about that.
0: But then all of a sudden that gets you asking, well, but why would why would, why did God allow him to be tested? Yeah. I mean, the guy passed the test, but now God's the one who comes off looking kind of like. Oh.
1: Well, Job's always struck me that way. Most exactly. people. Like That's why? Right. Why does God allow Job That's right. to get hammered on?
0: Okay, here's this hit me like a ton of bricks. I was either riding my bike to work or walking to work. It, the observation that strikes every reader: Yeah, it's not fair. Yeah, it's not fair. What Job happens is not to treated Job. fairly, and God is cruel. Ah, well. First of all, let's start with it's not fair. Yeah. One implication that one could draw is. Yeah. God's cruel. God must be cruel. And Job goes there. Yeah. Multiple times. Yeah. And so
2: yep. the friends. No, the friends
0: don't. The friends say it's impossible that yeah. God would be unfair. Right. So you. Therefore, up. your suffering must be a result of your sin. Yeah. But you, the reader, know. Yeah. That's not true. That that's not true. Yeah. That's the puzzle of the book. Hmm. But the thing that strikes the reader is it's not fair. If Job is meant to represent every human, then that's right. Yeah. But Job is being presented here. Special kind of human. As a very special human, a human who passed the test. Yeah. But yet he suffers. Mm -hmm. He's the righteous sufferer, the righteous sufferer. Okay, dude, check out at the end of the book, Job 42, Job confesses and is like, I'm sorry, God, you're right. You're wiser and greater. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have accused you. Then the narrative picks up in chapter 42, verse 7. It said, It came about after Yahweh had spoken these words to Job. Yahweh said to Eliphaz, the Tamanite. That was one one of the friends. That's one of the friends, yeah. My anger is kindled against you and your two friends. You haven't spoken about me what is right, like my servant Job has. Now all of a sudden, Job is God's servant. I mean, he's always been God's servant. Oh, but he's called it. But I'll say he's called it. He's called my servant Job. It's a pretty short list of people called my servant. Mm, Okay. Moses, David... And uh, the prophets, yeah, and then that figure in Isaiah, the messianic figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So God's angry at the nations; these these representations of the the eastern nations, because they have not spoken about God what is right. But who has spoken rightly about God? My servant Job. So God says to Eliphaz, Go, take for yourselves seven bowls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job, and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And when you do that, my servant Job will pray for you. Hmm. And I will lift up his face. It's a Hebrew idiom for accept accept his petition. Hmm. I will lift up his face so that I don't commit an outrage with you. Wow. God's about to go off the handle yeah. with the nations. Yeah. <laughs> but good thing my servant Job is there. To intercede. Go to him, offer sacrifice, and he will intercede for you. So verse nine, so Eliphaz the Tamanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Naamathite. <laughs> they did as Yahweh told them. And the Lord lifted up the face of Job. And get this, dude, Job 42 verse 10 is the key to the book. And Yahweh restored the fortunes of Job while he was praying on behalf of his companions. And Yahweh added... While? To, while. NIV says after. Yeah, that's not what it says. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Behit <laughs> palolo While While. he was praying. Okay. And Yahweh added to everything that belonged to Job twofold. Okay, dude. My righteous servant Job (laughs) has unfairly suffered, Mm. not for his own sins, Mm. but for some unknown purpose. (laughs) Right? And the opening of the book doesn't tell you. you never learn why. What does the end of the book really tell you? The end of the book doesn't tell you why. Yeah. But it does tell you the outcome Mm. of the suffering of God's righteous servant. God's righteous servant suffers for a reason known only to God. Hmm. But in his suffering, in other words, Job is praying for the nations. that God would forgive forgive the nations. Yeah, and then God does. He's still suffering while he's praying. Mm. And it's while he's praying and interceding for the nations that God restores his fortunes. In other words, it's as if Job's suffering unfairly uniquely qualifies him to become the righteous servant intercessor yeah. who now has a place to stand it's because of his unfair suffering that that gives him the place to stand before God and to say forgive these people wow um, it's as if he's earned the right <laughs> to get a voice with God hmm. his suffering qualifies him to become an intercessor for the nations and he's called my servant job. Hmm. Let's go. Just that right there. There's something going on here. Yeah. And remember, he's a new Adam. He's a Noah. Yeah. He's a, he's all these other characters mapped onto them. So here's some comments from, uh, this is page 35, David Kleins, who's written, I think the longest commentary on Job in history. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost 1300 pages, Oh my gosh. three volumes. Uh, he says this, he says, we must remember that Job hasn't yet been restored when the friends bring their requests to him for prayer. Hmm while it's very clear in hebrew while he was praying Mm. that's when yahweh restored so he's presumably still on the ash heap
1: yeah he's still suffering
0: yep job has no inkling that yahweh intends to reverse his fortunes Mm. all he knows is now he's praying on behalf of others okay now look what this is very perceptive of clients he says Mm. all he knows is that he's still suffering at yahweh's hand and if it's difficult for the friends to acknowledge the divine judgment against them it must be no less difficult for Job to accept this second-hand instruction to offer prayer for people that he's totally disenchanted with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So, it, God, in other words, God doesn't say to Job, Job, pray for them. Job is just talking to the friend, Eliphaz. And the friend's like, hey, you're supposed to pray for me. So imagine this. Job's on the ash heap suffering. (laughs) Nothing changed. And
1: these are the guys who have been like giving him a hard time for
0: 50 chapters. Oh, they're insulting each other, calling each other windbags. Yeah. And they show up and and Eliphaz (laughs) says, I know that I just insulted you many times over. Yeah. But um, your God's angry at me (laughs) and is going to kill me. Yeah. And he told me to offer these sacrifices, and you're supposed to pray for me so that he'll spare my life.
1: Mm. That's the scene. It'd be like, yeah, just go home. <laughs> All
0: right. So, Clients goes on. Job certainly owes them nothing. Sure. Is this yet another test huh. that Job must undergo before he is restored? Huh. He goes on. The wording of Job 42 verse 10 makes it seem as if Job's restoration is dependent on his prayer mm. on their behalf. Mm. It's as if it's his last trial. The last trial of all will be to take his stand on the side of his torturer comforters. In other words, in chapter two, they come to comfort him. Yeah, and then but he they says really torture him. Multiple times, you know, lousy comforters are you want. This is fascinating. It is true that this prayer of Job is the first selfless act. That he's performed since his misfortunes overtook him. Hmm. Not that we begrudge him the self centeredness that's dominated his speech throughout the book. Perhaps his renewed orientation to the needs of others is the first sign that he's abandoned his inward looking mourning and is ready to accept consolation. In any case, the very act of offering his prayer on the friend's behalf is when his own restoration is said to take effect. The Hebrew says Yahweh restored the fortunes of Job while he was praying for his friends, not, as most versions have it, when or after he prayed for his friends. Hmm. Dude, mind-blowing, at least for me. (laughs) So we're introduced to a righteous, sinless sufferer Mm -hmm. who suffers for no reason except known to God alone. (laughs) And he's angry about it, Mm -hmm. and he goes to God with it. And at the end, he never finds out, but what he does discover is that his suffering has positioned him uniquely, to now intercede on behalf of the nations and the nations receive God's mercy hmm. because of the intercession of the righteous sufferer wow. who is my servant. Dude, yeah. Yeah. what's happening? Right. And all of a sudden when I was again, I was riding my bike, I was like, it's not fair. Hmm. It's not fair.
1: It's not fair. But that's the whole point hmm.
0: is that Job's suffering isn't fair. Yeah, That's actually the point
1: the point is it's not fair <laughs> yes there's something about someone needing to suffer unjustly it's mm-hmm. an actual
0: kind of necessary well but to say it's necessary means that what the narrative of the book is simply saying is a righteous sufferer mm-hmm. is uniquely privileged by god mm. god takes these kinds of people into his counsel mm. and will accept just remember moses at the golden calf Mm-hmm. No. Moses has not blown it yet okay. with the Israelites. Yeah. And God says, leave me alone oh, that right. I may destroy these people yeah, and he... that my anger may burn against them. Oh, and he intercedes, yeah. And Moses doesn't leave God alone. Yeah. He steps into the divine council. Hmm. So he's at that, that role of the righteous. It's the role there. of the, the, the righteous intercessor. Hmm. And it's a role that is going to be played by the prophets. Jeremiah will be another suffering prophetic intercessor. And then that the figure in the book of Isaiah Mm. Is my servant who will suffer on behalf of the sins of his own people. Mm. So, in other words, in the Hebrew Bible has another photo mosaic mm-hmm. of the righteous, prophetic, suffering intercessor. Mm. It's the kind of figure that we need if God, God's mercy can be released to the nations yeah. instead of the f- another flood of judgment. Yeah, and that's the profile of this of Isaiah fifty three. Hmm. Job fits it perfectly. Yeah, It's an outline of Job. <laughs> and It's like Job's
1: biggest yeah. contribution yes. to the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, yeah, like or that. at least one of them that yeah. just hit
0: me like a ton of bricks. Wow. And then all of a sudden, the fact that it's not fair makes sense because yeah. that's the point. Hmm. All of a sudden, so much of the atonement theology of the New Testament for me pops into focus hmm. of Jesus going to Jerusalem to suffer as the Passover lamb, as the suffering servant, as Israel's king, mm-hmm. as the prophetic intercessor, he's putting himself in the path of the the destruction. Yeah, the template has been
1: set. There is God is going to use mm-hmm. a righteous, a righteous, suffering, suffering mm-hmm. intercessor mm-hmm. to bring blessing. Yeah, to the nations. To the nations.
0: Yeah jesus's anguish in the garden mm. becomes a moment it's like the book that's job <laughs> he's like job wrestling yeah. with god why why if there's any other way yeah it's as if yeah when jesus kneels in the garden he's kneeling beside job and beside all the suffering righteous the figure of the book of psalms to mm-hmm. all, all that hmm. these are all overlapped on each other right is yeah, that a theme you know,
1: video the suffering servant Yeah,
0: I'm actually beginning to, yeah, whether it's the intercessor or my servant. My servant. It's called my servant. Yeah. I don't know. Huh. Yeah, this, that's something going on here. Yeah. So the book of Job actually is not just belonging to the wisdom Mm, storyline. It's actually. It's prophetic. It's prophetic. It's about what the whole Hebrew Bible is about. We need Mm. a new Adam. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Right. Who won't blow it. But not only will he won't blow it. But he, there will be something about ah, him that allows yeah. him to correct it for everyone that's else. That's
0: right. Yeah, to step in to the place of the intercessor to um, release God's mercy to the nations instead of justice. Yeah. Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there's something about Job. Yeah, it's interesting how in Job, there's still this mystery, though, of like, but oh, why? Why
0: the, book why the suffering? Yeah. Yeah. Like
1: why not just let Job mm-hmm. intercede mm-hmm. without suffering? Mm-hmm. And why let him, you know let him suffer? Yeah. Why why? I know. And that's the thing where it's like yeah. Job still has this unique yeah. like uh mm-hmm.
0: you can't know. That's right. And you won't know to right. be
1: okay with that.
0: It's, yep, that's right. And the why does God allow the the Satan to do what he does in the story of Job is the same question as why did God let that snake crawl up to the tree? yeah it's the same thing
1: and why did God
0: let his own let his, himself the yeah. son? Yes, the way the story of Jesus fits into this is that the why question of Job and of Eden isn't answered mm-hmm. but God's response to it isn't to answer it it's to enter into the story himself and mm. become the suffering servant. yeah God becomes the suffering servant. Mm. To bear the pain of his of his his creation's failure,
1: it's like all the Hebrew scriptures is looking for this person. Yeah, we need this person. We know we need this person. Yeah, yeah.
0: Job is a reflection on
1: that. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. these Psalms are a reflection on that. Yeah, Isaiah, mm-hmm. and yeah, then the New Testament gospel claims mm-hmm. are God Himself is going to be that person.
0: Correct. Yeah, wow. and. And actually, I think the Book of Isaiah is even pushing you there—that mm. that servant is no, no. is Emmanuel, mm. is God with us. Oh, right. <laughs> right, yeah. Isaiah seven. Yeah. Mind-bending, dude. Wow, very cool. So, okay, so let's recap. The Garden of Eden is about the pursuit of wisdom, failed, mm-hmm. resulting in exile and death, Yeah, and the division of man and woman. Mm-hmm. The story of Solomon takes that template and just fills it out. Another new Adam in a new garden opportunity. Uh, he pursues wisdom, it seems, but then doesn't, and then it's with the ladies, that <laughs> it all falls apart. And then these four wisdom books are all connected into that pursuit of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Or failed pursuit of wisdom. Proverbs, you know, is about pursue lady wisdom, embrace yeah. her, love her. It's
1: most straightforward, just
0: like. Yeah, yeah. There's two
1: paths. Two paths. You could pursue the wisdom. That's right. You could pursue another lady. Correct. And pursue wisdom and it's gonna go well
0: yeah ecclesiastes comes along and and we get a solomonic persona voice of saying yeah neither me nor any of my descendants ever did it yeah and uh we ended up in exile we did the best we could and and here we we did a lot of great stuff yeah i guess they didn't do the best they could but But yeah we we didn't succeed and life here outside the garden's hard and yeah do your best follow god but right yeah song of songs is an imaginative what if what if Adam. What this is consummated, and Adam and Eve, or Solomon and Lady Wisdom, had come together. Imagine what it could be like. Yes, we're pushing constantly, waiting forward, Mm. forward. And then Job comes along and imagines what an Adam who looked like who was was not deceived. Yeah, but he's an Adam who's living outside of Eden. Mm. Job is outside the Garden of Eden, Mm. so he's living post humanity's failure. And so, what a new Adam will have to do Mm. is suffer precisely so that he can intercede on behalf of the nations to release god's blessing to the nations
1: which is not just a call for
0: one Mm. guy correct it then becomes the way yes it's the messianic vocation which it falls upon one person the servant yes but who also has a whole family that he creates in the book who of Isaiah, imita- who, who are imitate. called the servants, huh. who imitate yeah. the 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 suffering intercession of the servant, and then that's welcome to the New Testament. It's like what that's what it's about.
1: Why we the why we suffer then becomes for others in a way. Yeah, is
0: an opportunity to serve others. That's right. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Cool. I don't know how are we gonna summarize this in one video? I think we can do it. <laughs> oh, good job good (laughs) i didn't say i've done it (laughs) (laughs) okay everybody that is it for our wisdom series conversation on the podcast um thank you guys uh for listening to the series and your interest in it the next episode on the podcast is going to be uh what we usually do a q and r episode So if this wisdom series has uh, raised questions for you, feel free to send us those questions. We would love to hear from you. Here's how you can do it. You can email uh, a question to us at info at jointhebibleproject.com. If you could make an audio recording, give us your name, where you're from. That would be awesome. And if you can, please try to keep the question to about 20 or 30 seconds. All these conversations that John and I had on the wisdom books of the Bible were in preparation uh, for a video that we made through The Bible Project, and it's now out. It's a video called How to Read the Books of Solomon. You can check it out on our website, thebibleproject.com, or go to youtube.com slash thebibleproject. Today's show was produced by the amazing Dan Gummel. Theme music was by the band Tense. The Bible Project is a crowdfunded, non-profit animation studio in Portland, Oregon. Uh, We're able to make all of these videos and other resources, this podcast, because of the generous support of so many, many people, and you are some of them. Thank you so much for listening and for being a part of this with us. Hi, this is Lauren. I'm from New York City. My favorite thing about The Bible Project is that it's an extremely generous way to spread the news of Jesus and teach the Bible in our culture We believe that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus We're a crowdfunded project by people like me. Find free videos study notes, podcasts, and more resources at thebibleproject.com